Welcome into the Murray State Basketball Podcast, the Ride Home Edition, as the Racers come home with a 91-68 loss to St. Louis on Monday night on the season opener and the debut of Steve Prohm 2.0 at Murray State. At first glance, had some feedback from some Racer fans, there wasn't much positive. I disagree. And maybe we're going a little glass half full. The glass is not full. Uh, we don't want to start there at all. But there are certainly some things to build on. Coming out of this matchup with SLU last night, I you mark this down now. If we're going to fast forward four months, five months uh, into March, SLU has got the goods to be a Sweet 16 team. Absolutely a second weekend team in the tournament. They have a ton of experience. And I didn't think they played exceptionally well last night. Travis Ford said as much after the game. They played well in spurts. He said they might have only played well for 15 minutes. Again, coaches will have a little bit of sky is falling mentality at times, but they, when they played well, they played very well. But you could tell they, they were still just trying to get their get their legs back under them. Javante Perkins coming back off an ankle injury after missing all of last year uh, with the torn ACL. He plays 30 minutes, has 21 points. Yuri Collins, the point guard that led America in assists last year, led America in turnovers last year. That was really a point where you thought if Murray can turn him over, get some easy baskets in transition, they've got a chance to hang around this basketball game. Yuri Collins had 14 assists and zero turnovers against the Racers. Pretty much throwing the perfect game. And that was the point of Murray and their offense last night, that nothing came easy. Nothing came easy. And that is best evidenced by just looking at the simple numbers of St. Louis had 35 field goals. 23 of those were assisted baskets. Murray State had 23 field goals. Only seven of those were assisted baskets. Seven assists is not going to get it done. Seven assists... 10 turnovers for Murray, that was certainly, it's just not enough. And But the, but it was, it was, the seven number isn't surprising when you saw what we saw last night. That that was just a case of everything was just hard offensively. The ball stuck sometimes. You saw a lot of one-on-one play. That will be corrected. But at least for one night, it was it was certainly not good enough against a very good SLU team who could very well prove out to be the best team that Murray faces this year. Which a lot of years, any year going back forever, when Murray State goes and plays their, their money game, their buy game, it's often against the best team on their schedule. SLU did not disappoint. In that regard. Number one, I love the 
Chaffetz Arena. That's how we're pronouncing it today. That's a perfect... That is a perfect college basketball arena. Holds about 10,000. You know, unless you're one of the super heavyweights that can, that can you know, fill 15 or 20. Man, that's a great, that's a great basketball arena. It was probably, I don't know, it holds 10. Let's see if we have official attendance that they would. They said 72.53, which, which actually feels, I, I would have thought there was closer to 8,500 in there. But it was a, a really good atmosphere. And it's a good, that's one of those good tests for Murray to play on the road. Because they're going to need to play in hostile environments this year. Racer fans know that, you know, in the past, especially once you got into conference play, the road environments, unless Murray was having a special season that would bring an extraordinary amount of fans out, because the Beatles were rolling into town. A lot of those arenas they go play in were, were glorified libraries. And in the Missouri Valley, you're going to run into a lot better road atmospheres, game in and game out. So last night was a good test for that. All right, the good, I thought Murray came out of the, great, out of the gates pristinely. Handled the early punch. And really, we're doing the punching. Jumped out to that 9-2 lead right out of the jump. Knocking down shots. Rebounding. You know, we knew SLU coming in. I mean, that was the book. Travis Ford wanted to shoot 26-28 to three-pointers. They shot 31. You know, first half, they shot 18. They only made four. And that's where, in a vacuum, you look at it, and you see Slew went 4 of 18 from 3, you're thinking, well, Murray has a chance to be in this game. But they were really already up against it, down 15 at the half, because of their offensive woes. And also the rebounding. We talked about this coming in. You know, with a team, A, Slew's just big. And this, this was going to be a problem. You know, where we said Murray's got... Murray has some big guards, but undersized bigs. And Slu has big guards and just big bigs. And this was going to be one of those one of those situations where all hands have to be on deck rebounding. And there were just points last night. There was just a lot of guys standing around hoping the ball fell into their lap. And that didn't happen. And that's how it, when the dust settles, SLU ends up plus 14 on the glass. And they ended up with 16 offensive rebounds. And when you have a team that shoots that many threes, the ball rebounds long. You're going to have some inflated offensive rebound numbers because of the amount of of three-point attempts. But in the next breath, there was a lot of those that were that whether they should have been, certainly could have been uh, reeled in, and they just were not. And oftentimes what happened, as we saw especially in the second half, the timing of those offensive rebounds were just backbreaking for the racers who were trying to hang around, and then suddenly a second or third 
offensive attempt from SLU turned into a made three-pointer that was just absolutely deflating uh, for this team. One of my favorite part, you know, the beginning of the game, first of all, as I, as I go back and, and look at my notes and I'm <laughs> the first 10 minutes, I couldn't believe how few whistles were called, were just blown. I mean, it was just on both sides. I mean, they were, it was an absolute let them play situation. Let them play. And, and I don't know how well the racers handled that, especially once stuff kind of started going sideways. You know, again, you're up 9-2, you're feeling good. But literally, that's just, you know, that's the first handful of minutes, two, three minutes, where everything's going in, Slew's missed some shots, you're out running, everybody's feeling good. But then it was just, just a rugby match there for a little while. One of my favorite components, and I sat a couple rows behind the bench, but it was it just reminded me as as SLU made their early run, you know, down nine two, and then they tie it and, and quickly take the lead. And and Steve Pro turning around at one point, you know, and he's he's chirping at his assistants, and it's it was something along the lines of, you know, we don't know what we're doing, and now we're getting our butts kicked. And, but my favorite part of it was him, and, and this is this is not a Steve Prohm thing, this is just a coach, this is every coach everywhere thing, that the kids on the bench end up taking all the fire from the coach when the coach is mad about what the guys are doing on the floor. <laughs> he just turns around, and it's like, he's got to yell at somebody, and then it's just like, I'm yelling at the, I'm yelling at the first face I see, and so there was... The six, seven, eight guys, you know, Brian Moore and and Quincy Anderson are sitting there, sort of in the in the hot seats, you know, ready to go in. But they hadn't been in the game yet, and Steve's turned around and he's just just hammering on them about what was going on on the floor. And I always just I always just laughed about that because, you know, in my illustrious successful career as a ninth grade basketball coach twenty three years ago, that, that's that's what you do. Like you're just mad, and somebody has to hear what you're mad about, and you turn around, and it's the first person that you see. And I'm sure those guys, you know, those guys are like, you know, you have that moment of of self defense where you're just like, I didn't do anything, but that's sort of the preemptive yell of, hey, when you get in there, please don't continue to do what they're doing because I'm tired. Uh, of being mad about this. I thought, well, what we did see from, from Prome last night was a was a typical Steve Prome rotation. He went seven. He went seven. And that is, that is what we have been accustomed to seeing in the past. With that said, dude, last night's a meat grinder game. I mean, you, you're, you're up against it last night. I don't know they get into maybe some some lesser leverage spots that we won't see the eight, nine guys get in more. You know, Sam Murray played a little bit early. He only played three minutes. Justin Morgan got some run in the second half. He he played six minutes. Marlon Leston got in there, got a couple uh, fouls really. They tried to steal some time with him at the end of the first half, you know, and played one. But really, I mean, it, it's seven. 
Jamari Smith, Rob Perry, Kenny White, DJ Burns, Jacoby Wood, Brian Moore, Quincy Anderson. And those are all your experienced guys in there last night. The freshman, again, aside from spot work from, from Murray, you know, we don't know what his if his ankle was 100% coming out of that situation last week or if that's just one of those coach decision situations. But he played three minutes. Justin Morgan, he played six. And that, that's it. So... I don't know last night was the situation that it's the baptism by fire with the freshmen. More time with them. But that's but that's what we saw. And I, I think if if you know gunned ahead at the start of the year and you're like, who you're seven, that's your that's your seven. That's your seven. Jacoby Wood, DJ Burns, both struggled from the floor, one of eight. I mean the race I mean really Racer shot 37%. Wasn't really a banner night uh, for anybody. Jamari Smith was 6 of 11. Rob Perry, 6 of, of 13. Jamari Smith has a little bit of Justice Hill in him, seemingly. Justice Hill was an all-league guy last year for the Racers. Two years ago. His first year coming out of junior college. The one thing I said about about Juice was you could tell Juice was going to shoot the ball 70 feet from the basket. There was just something about his body language. He would, Murray would inbound it, get a rebound, get it to him, and he would start dribbling the ball up the floor. And he'd be on the opposite end free throw line. And you could just tell he's going to pull it at some point dribbling up the floor here. And you get that a little bit from Jamari, that it, it, you get the sense he's got his mind made up early that he's going to shoot the ball. And he has shown now two nights in a row. I mean, he had 19 last night. Made three threes. He's going to be able to score. But as we continue to progress and teams are going to run multiple guys at him, that he's going to have to grow into that patience of where's the double team coming from, who's open, where he can be super effective. Because he can score. There is no question about it. But like I said, you, you, just, you know early when he wants to fire. Rob Perry, going to be able to score. He had 14 last night. The one guy right now, the one thing, you know, and again, you kind of go back to that rebounding disadvantage. You know, Kenny White, he had one rebound in 30 minutes. You know, and as a 6'7 guy, you know, you'd like to see him, I think you'd like to see him get some more, you know, and get get your nose dirty and get in there. You know, Jacoby Wood had eight. Quincy Anderson had five coming off the bench. And so, uh it's just going to be an all hands on deck deal. You know, I don't know that you've got a, you know, 12, 14 rebound a game guy in there, but you get a lot of guys that get six or eight somewhere around there, they're going to be okay. And last night, like I said, there was just a lot of standing around last night at points that, and that's not a Kenny, so that, that's a, that's a, that's an everybody situation where, and it is, you know, when, when guys, when other teams are shooting threes, there's sort of that natural, let me watch it come in and then I'll try to go find it instead of going to find a body and and, and blocking somebody out. Uh, and that did that just that happened too often. 
St. Louis got out in transition and ran last night. Another thing, guys are not getting back. Guys were not getting back on defense. Especially, you know, we'll call it the bigs, you know, whoever. But it was just St. Louis's bigs were outrunning Murray's bigs down the floor. And there was times that Collins, in getting those 14 assists, was able to just fly down the floor and, you know, throw it at the rim and it's a dunk or, you know, Really, it wasn't even much of a needle to thread. Just kind of a great wide open in the post and throw it down there and, you know, leads to an easy uh, easy layup. The There didn't seem to be much rim protection, I guess, again, from the bigs. You know, it's kind of that first line of defense gets beat. It was just a lot of layups last night. A lot of layups that were allowed. Um, and then... From the Murray standpoint, just a lot of a lot of times they did not finish at the rim, and so you get that it turns into a you know, you're, you're giving them you're giving them all the layups, all the very easy baskets, and then on the on the flip side you're not you're not finishing, and suddenly you find yourself uh, down by twenty. The really the key point of the game now, again from the positive side. Great start. I thought the first 10, 12 minutes of the second half, I really liked the fight that Murray brought. I liked the fight a lot. Because you're down 15, that thing can balloon to 30, and let's go home and get ready for Lindsey Wilson in a hurry. And it got to 20. And then they got it back, you know, and then it get to 15, and then it get to 18, and then it get to 12, and get back to 18, and then they got it to 11. And you thought, here we go. You know, we're midway through midway through the second half, and you are down eleven, and that's when we get a you get an and one, miss the free throw, does slew, gets the offensive rebound, hits a three. I believe you get a turnover, come down, hit another three. And it's like, I mean, eight oh run in 30 seconds, somewhere around there, and it goes from 11 to 19, and you're like, okay, we're, we're done. You know, that's, that's the end of the night here. And But to that point, it was a tremendous amount of fight, and I think that's a in a spot that's an easy, all right, we've given it our, the best we can tonight. Let's, let's just circle up the wagons and get out of here. Uh, that, was definitely, that was definitely a positive that they can build on uh, moving forward. We saw last night, we saw the, the mystery technical foul called for a, I guess, a fake charge. I believe it was Jacoby Wood off the top of my, uh, off the top of my head. I'll have to go back and, and look, but it was, the, the part that was weird about it was they and I will say it was Jacoby Wood because that's who my memory says it was. But I, I will stick with that for story purposes. That he he tried to take the charge. It was obvious that he got hit. You know, the slew player put his shoulder into him trying to go up to score. The part about the rule now is any act to try to deceive the referee is an automatic technical. Now, it doesn't count as a technical foul, like one more and you're ejected, or against your personal foul count like normal, but they just technical, one free throw, ball out of bounds. 
he got hit, but you could tell the way he sold it, he was selling he was selling the contact. It wasn't just a situation that he got hit and fell. He hit and sort of fell with some extra garnish on the side. And that's what the ref blew the whistle on. But the part that was odd to me, and I'll have to get some clarification on this, was he got hit and went down, and play continued for three or four more seconds, and Slew lays the ball in. And now Murray's ready to inbound the ball to come back in, and now they blow the whistle and say, hey, by the way, we've got a technical for acting, and now we're going to let Slew shoot a free... Th- it was just... I guess I just feel like if it's a... I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it's like you don't want to stop the game. You don't want to stop Slew from scoring because you're penalizing Slew for a guy flopping. But at the same time, it just seemed to sort of retroactively go back to give the technical... Like, It's just going to take some time to get used to the rule as much as anything. But... Uh, that was, we saw it again, and we will continue to see it. And and it's one thing for it to happen in a you know forty five po- twice in a forty five point win over an NAIA team. It's one thing to happen in a twenty point game last night. That's going to come into play at some point here soon in a tight game that somebody's trying to make a play in the final five minutes, and then that rule is going to start getting the spotlight thrown on it. And we will continue to see. Uh, you know, as we talked with Rob Cross on the on the first broadcast, the Brescia broadcast, it's like this is a point of emphasis. But like most points of emphasis, they drift away as the year goes on. At what point will that will that uh, will its head uh, rear at some point for everybody uh, to see? The one thing last night that I noticed in terms of you're not in the Ohio Valley Conference anymore. And this was more of just a schedule thing. Ten Missouri Valley Conference schools were in action last night. Seven of them were at home. And four of those games were actually against Division I teams. Murray was playing one of the few... You know, they're playing a bye game. And they're, you know, they're one of the few in conference to do that. Last night on opening night. The Ohio Valley Conference, 10 OVC teams were in action last night. But only two of them were at home. And none of those games were against Division I teams. The waters are deeper now. The schedules are better now. From a fan standpoint, that's awesome. Last night certainly wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> but but it's just a situation where you see moving forward that the, the schedules are going to be better year in, year out, being on this, uh, being being in this conference. And I think from a fan standpoint, that's more enjoyable. You know, you saw a lot of not a lot of fun games, you know, over the years here. And in those early, I mean, they're fun that you win by 50, you know, but whatever NAIA or Division Three or whoever you want to play, uh, you know, those games are a little more few and further between now. 
I would hope, you know, moving forward. Last point, and I only bring it up because I spent the time to look at it, look it up and then I didn't say anything about it uh, 10 minutes ago. I think the biggest takeaway from last night as well is that this team obviously, obviously, has a whole lot of work to do defensively. Last night was, you know, Steve Prohm coached 133 games at Murray State in his first tenure. He gave up, in those 133 games, his racer teams allowed 91 points in regulation twice. You may remember February of 2014, 99-96, that thrilling shootout with Belmont. TJ Sapp missed the running three at the horn that would have sent it to overtime. And then November 29th of 2014, 93-58, they lost to Valpo in Nashville, which was rock bottom for that racer team at that point as they then came out of that loss and won 25 straight games. 91 is a lot of points. And you know in in Steve Prohm's defensive heart, uh, that one that one stung a little bit last night. That will get cleaned up. That will get cleaned up. But again, that team they played last night is as good as anybody they will face all season long. And do not be surprised if SLU continues to get healthier and stays healthy throughout the year with Javante Perkins, with Yuri Collins, with, uh, with my boy Jimerson. Gibson Jimerson. All I say, you hear Jimerson, and I'm thinking Jimmer Fredette, where the, just walk in the gym, dude's got the green light to go. You know, he goes for 20. He's 4 of 12 for 3. It's, it's amazing because sitting watching it in real time, I wouldn't have thought he missed eight threes because the four threes he made were, it was like they all counted for six points. They were just massive, uh, massively impactful shots. But that defense will get turned around. The history says it will, but this is going to be uh, very much a work in progress for uh, this racer team here moving forward. But next up, Saturday, uh, back at home as they will take on Lindsey Wilson. Uh, coming up, we will, uh, we, we will, I will get a second look here at this slew game here later on today. And uh, coming up on Thursday, we will uh, break down some more numbers from that. We'll also... I get some more expert analysis of that and then get you ready for Lindsey Wilson coming up on Saturday. But uh, round one goes to the Billikens, 91-68 as the Racers lose their opener. But again, uh, home on Saturday. And that's their last tune-up before they head to Myrtle Beach uh, coming up next week. All right, that is all for our ride home uh, from the St. Louis game. And that is all for the Murray State Basketball Podcast. Until next time, have a great day.